Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament passage of 1 Kings. The book of 1 Kings in chapter number 21. 1 Kings in chapter number 21. We are continuing with our series of the life and ministry of Elijah and Elisha. Studying these two men of God, these prophets that was used of God, and the miracles that was used with them. And once again, we are doing a study not only on them, the prophets themselves, but in order to understand them, we have to see the world around them, the context, the things that are going on within their own nation, within their own politics. And once again, we find in the forefront of this story found in 1 Kings chapter 21, the historical event of Ahab and his lovely wife Jezebel. And seeing, once again, the trouble that they find themselves in as they have caused. And so if you don't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to to the Old Testament passage of 1 Kings in chapter 21. 1 Kings in chapter 21, and notice if you don't mind starting in verse 1. The Bible says this, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel. Hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or, if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me, that I should give my inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased. And because of the word of Naboth, the Jezreelite, had spoken to him, for he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed, and turned away his face, that he would eat no bread. But Jezebel his wife came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? And he said to her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and I said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. And Jezebel his wife said unto him, Dost thou not govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let thy heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city dwelling at Naboth. And she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth high among the people and set two sons, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, and then carry him out and stone him that he may die. And the men of the city, even to the elders and the nobles who were in the inhabitants of his city, as Jezreel 
had sent unto them, as it was written in the letters which she had sent unto them. And they proclaimed a fast, and sent Naboth on high among the people. And there came in two men, children of Belial, and sat before him. And the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. Then they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. Then they sent unto Jezebel, saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. And it came to pass, when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And it came to pass, when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. And the word of the Lord came to Elisha the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whether he has gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, There thus saith the Lord, In the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall the do dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and I will take away thy posterity, and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and to him that is shut up and left in Israel, and will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam the son of Nabat, and like the son of Basha the son of Ahiah. For the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dog shall eat. And him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did abominably in following idols, according to all the things as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass, when Ahab heard those words, that he rent his clothes and put on sackcloth upon his flesh, and fasted and lay in sackcloth, and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See thou how Ahab humbled himself before me? Because he humbled himself before me, I will not bring evil in his days, but in the son's days will I bring evil upon his house. And as we go through this horrible historical event, we look at all the horrible things that happen. And with it, I want to show you and teach you a principle that I'm going to summarize like this. Payday someday. Payday someday. And with this, we're going to explore this story and the aftermath of it and see this principle of payday someday. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And thank you for all these folks that showed up here this morning. And as we open up this Bible, this powerful principle that we're asking that your Holy Spirit would 
engage in it. That it would speak to people's hearts. That we would let us know about whom you are and how much you hate sin. And that we know that there's a terrible price for all sin. And that you hate all sin. I'm asking that it would make us run to Jesus Christ. To cling on to him and thankful for that way of escape. I'm asking that Lord that you would speak to hearts. Maybe some hardened hearts. That have been hardened over time because of sin. That you would permeate it now and soften it. And that you would speak to people in a way that they wouldn't even expect. But for the purpose of drawing them close to you. Lord, be with me now. Fill me with your spirit. I take control of my thoughts, my ambitions, how I think everything needs to go. And that you get your own work accomplished right now. And we do this in dependence and trusting in you. Amen. As we do this historical account, we see that there are four main characters that we need to pay attention to. That we know that there's Naboth. He was the owner of the vineyard. We would see at this time wicked King Ahab, who is the ruler of Israel at this time. And of course, his supporting role of his wife would be Jezebel, who did more to get him in trouble than what he would get into himself. And then there's the prophet of God, Elisha, who creeps in at the very end to give this warning. And with this, we could see a statement here that there is a payday someday. A payday someday. If you don't mind, I'd like to walk through this story first and give you an idea of what is occurring. The first thing I'd like to bring to your attention is the real estate request. The real estate request. What happens is that there happens to be a vineyard that's right next to the palace of Ahab the king. And Ahab would often look out the window and he would look at that beautiful vineyard and watch uh, Naboth and his sons working this field and working it, making it beautiful. And he would look and daydream and say, you know what? That would be a beautiful garden. Look how the light hits that. You know what? I want that land. And so he worked up the courage to finally go and talk to Naboth. Notice with me if we go back to 1 Kings chapter 21. And notice as this unfolds, verse 20, uh, chapter 21 and verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace. That means it's right next to it. It's, it's next to our neighbor, the property lines cross, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house. And so here's the story. Now, I don't know how you would feel about having the king, who is an evil king, come to your house, knock on your door, come into your vineyard and say, hey, this is beautiful. Well, thank you. I really like how the sunlight hits it. Oh, and look at this beautiful vineyard here. You know what? I would love to have this. How much do you want for it? And he makes him a good deal. He's not like cutting them short. Notice what he offers them. He says, I will give thee... For it a better vineyard than it. Or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth and money. So Ahab's not trying to shortchange him. He says, here, I'll give you a good deal. I'll get you another vineyard. I'll get you something. I just want this one. It's right next to the house. I can look at it at my window. It's gorgeous. But Naboth, not <coughs> trusting the king, but trusting in God's word, said this in verse 3. Then Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. Now this is actually from the Old Testament law that God had, 
had believed in inheritance and property rights. That God believed in private property. And that he had sent out a division of land and said, this is your land. And that it was the Hebrews people responsibility to maintain that land and to give it to further generations. That they would always have that land. And so Naboth says, I can't. God gave us this land. It was my father's land. It was my daddy's land. I can't give it to you. It's not mine to give. I have to give it to my children. This is our family. We can't get rid of it. And Ahab tried to negotiate and he tried to talk. And finally, Naboth said, no, it's not going to happen. Well, Ahab wasn't a type of king who was used to hearing no. Most people would be very afraid of him and afraid of what would happen to him if they happen to say no. But here's a guy who had the courage to say no. And so we go from the real estate request to the pouting pontiff. The pouting pontiff. And so Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased <coughs> because of the word of Naboth the Jezreelite, and spoken to him, for he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. So watch what Ahab does. And he lays down upon his bed and turned away his face, and he would eat no bread. So he goes out, Naboth, give me this field. No, not going to happen. But I'll give you a good price. Nope, not going to happen. I'll give you more than its price. Nope, not going to happen. Okay, fine. And he goes, runs up to his room and begins to cry like a little girl. Or like a little boy, whichever one you choose. And they tried to feed him. Ahab, here's your meal. I don't want it. I just I can't do it. He's looking at his wall and just crying. Just tears running down. <laughs> it's not right. He told me, no, it's not good. Can you imagine the ruler of a kingdom, the highest government official, crying because someone said no. Just crying like a little baby. It's not fair. He told me no. I just don't want to eat. And he's, his whole life is ruined. Because someone finally told that spoiled brat no. Well, you would think that good enough is well alone. Just let him cry. Ah, but then we come to the wicked wife. Jezebel hears that Ahab is crying. And obviously they didn't share the same room. And so... They said, hey, Ahab's crying in his room. You probably need to go do something about it. Well, now he's making her look bad. I mean, who wants to get married to a crybaby? I mean, he's the king. She goes, I'll take care of this. I'll go kick him a couple times. So notice as she goes in and she takes care of business in verse 5. But Jezebel, his wife, came into him and said, Why is thy spirit so sad and eatest no bread? She goes in there, Why are you crying like a big baby? Get up. I thought you were the king. I would like to, but just Naboth told me no, and I want it so bad. He's crying like a big baby. She goes, fine, I'll take care of this myself. In verse number seven, and Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Does thou not govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let thy heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she goes into his room, finds out why he's crying, Finally, she says, I'll take care of this myself. You go ahead, get up, I, you know, act like the king, be a man. Don't worry, I'll get things taken care of. And so if you could imagine a scenario where a government ruler didn't get his way and he's throwing a fit. And the wife says, don't worry, I'll make it look like a suicide and no one will know any better. I'll get this taken care of. And so she comes up with a plan. 
which comes up to the next thing, the message meaning murder. The message meaning murder. So what she does is she writes a letter and she signs it Ahab's name and seals it with a king's seal. But she comes up with a great plan. She goes, I want you to have a special ceremony awarding Naboth. I want you to honor him as a great pillar of the community. I want you to make sure that he's going to get awards. He sits on the big table. Everyone's looking at him. And I want you to go ahead and have a big festival in his name. And so they do. And so Naboth is maybe curious, maybe suspicious, who knows. But he's, they're having a big festival in his honor. And you could almost imagine as the people are milling around, dancing around, that they have on a platform, a wooden platform, a table. And they have Naboth sitting there. Maybe the governor's sitting there. Maybe some of the city council sitting there. But in the middle seat is Naboth. And he's eating and he's enjoying himself. When all of a sudden there's a hush upon the crowd. As two people who are hired by Jezebel to lie against him. They stand up and said, we have proof that he is a liar. We have proof that he blasphemed God. He hates God and we have evidence of it. And they stir up the crowd against Naboth. Now Naboth hasn't done anything wrong. And so Jezebel's trying to arrange this. So she didn't do anything. Ahab didn't do anything. Nope, this is of Naboth's own doing. And so Naboth is proven by this mob that he had blasphemed against God. That he called God all kinds of bad names. And that he said he was going to serve other gods other than God. And they stir up this community until finally they take Naboth. And the Bible talks about in 2 Kings, his sons. And they pull him outside of the city and they stone him and they stone his kids because Jezebel hired some liars to give false evidence against this man and so the message meaning murder they come they get this big thing they carry out the news and finally they report to Jezebel he's dead notice with me if you don't mind as she gets the message in verse number 14. Then they sent to Jezebel saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. And so she gets the message. Everything is done. The paperwork is done in secret. Nobody knows that Jezebel. Nobody knows that Ahab is guilty of this. They all look innocent. They didn't have anything to do with it. They were never there. No one saw their handprints all over this. They got away with it. Which brings us now to, <clears throat> if you don't mind, the visit to the vineyard. So Jezebel in verse 15. And it came to pass that Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead. And Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. And it came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. So imagine this. Ahab spent his time crying. Jezebel finally says, all right, big boy, I got things taken care of. I went ahead and did your job for you. It's all yours. You go down and possess it. <laughs> okay, thanks. Dries his tears, goes back down, and they own a vineyard. And you think of this story and say, this is wicked. This is horrible. Then you start to wonder, where is God? 
Is God blind? Does he not see this? Where is he at? This isn't fair. This isn't right. How come this is, he, God's allowing this wickedness to go on? And this is where the principle I, want, I told you about at the very beginning comes to play. The Bible says this. Be not deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You understand there is a payday someday. It may look like at the moment, it may look like they got away with it. But let me tell you that God is not mocked. There is a payday someday. And it's not instant, and it's not right away, but God is keeping tabs. God understands what is going on. And that Bible principle is true. Be not deceived. For God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You understand that God hates sin and he hates all sin. And there is a payday a coming for anyone who is involved in sin. Every single person there is a payday waiting for you. And it may not be instant. It may not be right away. But there is a payday coming. And the Bible gives that warning. Be not deceived. Don't let, let Satan lie to you. Satan would like to say, you're getting away with it. It's all good. Nobody knows about it. It may seem to the rest of the world that you got away with it. But the Bible is very clear. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. There is a payday someday. And so now we see as God now interjects himself into this. And we come to the alarming appearance. What happens is that God sends his messenger to go and confront Ahab. And so you can imagine Ahab is working in his vineyard. He's observing it and checking it out. He's looking at all of this. And all of a sudden the hairs on the back of his neck begin to stand up. He begins to see that there's a presence there with him. He doesn't even look back as he sees a shadow start to come up right beside him. What is it that troubles him? What is it? Is it a snarling beast? Is it black clouds of a storm? Is it a snake ready to strike? What is it? It's God's preacher coming to deliver a message. That shadow comes up and Ahab almost doesn't even look around. He says, is that you my enemy? You found me. Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? He already knew who it was. And he knew why he was there. God's man had come to deliver a message that there is going to be a payday someday. And he comes and deliver a message of doom. You understand Ahab thought he got away with it. Jezebel thought she covered all the paperwork. It seemed like everything was gone to pass. But God saw. And God knew. And God knew what he was going to do about it. And so he sent an old-fashioned preacher with an old-fashioned message that says there is a payday someday. Notice again in verse number 20. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou find me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of God. He says, you did evil and God's not going to let you get away with it. There's a payday someday. 
He says, Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and I will take away thy posterity. And I will cut off Ahab from him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. And I will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, and like the house of Basha, the son of Asia. For the provocation which thou hast provoked me to anger, and to make Israel to sin. God says, I've been watching you. And I've been seeing you as you provoked me. That word provoke carries the idea, mental picture of taking a stick and put it into a lion cage and poke, 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 poke. And Ahab has purposely been provoking God for all of these years. And there's going to be a payday someday. You're not going to get away with, with uh, poking a lion for too long. You're not going to get away with poking the bear too long. And Ahab had poked God and poked God and aggravated him to anger. And God says, there's a payday someday. And let me know, I'm going to deliver sentence to you. And not only to you, but everyone that is blood related to you. There's going to be a payday someday. Notice if you're at verse 23. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. And him that dieth of Ahab in the city shall the dogs eat. And him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. And he delivers this. He delivers this message. He says, Ahab, you're going to die. And the dogs are going to lick up your blood. And your lovely wife Jezebel... The dogs are going to eat her flesh. There's going to be a payday someday. And he delivers this message. Of course, Ahab began to cry again and ripped his clothes in, in a sign of mourning. He didn't get right with God, but he did humble himself. But there's still a payday someday. Which brings me to this now. The payday itself. The payday itself. Did God mean what he was going to say? Was there a payday to come? Three years passed and nothing happened. Three years have come and gone since this murder. Three years have come and gone since the pronouncement of this. <laughs> you could almost imagine Jezebel making a joke at the dinner table. <laughs> I thought that preacher, he said, God is going to get back at us. <laughs> Three years and we're still living. But I kind of think that every time a dog barked, that Ahab would jump just a little bit. I just have something in mind that every time a dog would begin to growl a little bit, he would search for his life and make sure that he was still safe. There was just something about it. But I'm sure that Jezebel made every chance to mock at this and laugh at it. But what about this? Was there a payday? Was God going to keep his word? Is it a true statement that be not deceived for God is not mocked? For whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. There is a payday someday. Notice with me in the next chapter. 1 Kings chapter 22. And 1 Kings chapter 22. And starting at verse number 29. We see an accountant. What we see here is that the king of Israel and the king of Judah. Have joined forces together to fight against the Syrian army. Now Ahab knows that he's under a death sentence and knows that he's a wanted man and knows that he's not very popular with very many people. So in this battle plan, he comes up with his own plan to make sure to to save himself. Notice with me in 1 Kings chapter 22 and verse 29. And so the king of Israel 
And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and enter into battle, but put thou on thy robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into the battle. So here was the game plan. They're going to go out to the battlefield and Ahab knows that everyone's going to be targeting him. And so he comes up with a brilliant idea. Hey, king of Israel... You wear your robes. You show up there and you show that you're the king, that you're the boss. Me, I'm going to look like a regular soldier. I'm going to put on normal clothes. No one's even going to know that I'm a soldier. That way, no one could find me. No one could target me. And Jehoshaphat said, all right, I'll, I'll leave the battle. That's fine. I'll go out there. And so the battle begins to ensue. Notice with me, if you don't mind. In verse number 30. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and enter into the battle, but thou put on thy robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. But the king of Syria commanded his thirty and two captains that had rule over his chariot, saying, Fight neither with small nor great, save only with the king of Israel. And so the king of Syria says, I hate Ahab, and let's get him. So he made his orders to his generals. I don't care who's out there. You ignore them all. You have one target, and that's the king of Israel. You find him. You find that Ahab, and let's put him to rest. Let's get rid of him now. And so there's a target in the back. Ahab, you could almost see like, ah, I'm disguised. They're not going to know it's me. It's all going to be good. He's got a plan to live past this battle. Notice what happens in verse 32. And it came to pass when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat, they said, Surely this is the king of Israel. And they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. So those people saw Jehoshaphat in the kingly robes, and they said, That's got to be him! That's the king of Israel! And so they begin to ride up to him, and Jehoshaphat said, I'm not Ahab! I'm not Ahab! Please don't kill me! And they're like, well, That's not the guy we're looking for. Jehoshaphat's running around, Please don't kill me! Please don't kill me! But what happens after this? Verse 33. And it came to pass when the captains of the chariot perceived it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. And a certain man drew back a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Wherefore he said to the driver of his chariot, turn thy hand and carry me out of the host for I'm wounded. So in the midst of the battle, things are going on. The generals are looking for Ahab. But it just so happens that a certain nameless uh, archer happened to arch uh, throw back an arrow and it wasn't it just like God to make sure that arrow hit its target he didn't even know he was gunning for the king of Israel but that arrow hit him square in the back and he knew he wasn't going to live past this he began to cry to his driver please get me out of here get me out of here and isn't it like God that he allowed some nameless archer to get rid of this enemy be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. But God didn't tell Ahab that he was going to die of just an arrow wound. But he said there was something more that was going to happen. What occurs after this? Notice with me in verse 35. And the battle increased that day, and the king was stayed in this chariot against the Syrians, and died at even. And the blood ran out of the wound into the midst of the chariot. And there went out a proclamation throughout the host going down of the sun saying, Every man to his city and every man to his country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria and they buried the king of Samaria. And one washed the chariot in the pool of Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood and washed his armor according to the word of the Lord which he spoke. God said, Hey Ahab! 
You're going to die and I'm going to have the dogs lick up your blood. And guess what happened? Exactly what God said. Be not deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It took three years, but there was a payday someday. God doesn't work on our schedule, but God watches all. And he knows, and there is a payday someday. Well, what about Jezebel? Jezebel didn't die with that three-year period. In fact, she goes on to rule for several more years after this. Ahab's gone, so she doesn't have to worry about that dead weight. She's now in charge of the country. And she can get her own policies across and her own mind across. And so she has a good time. And it looks like nothing's going to happen to Jezebel. Jezebel was more evil than Ahab, but yet she's still the one in charge. Where is God? Is he allowing this to go through? Well, let me remind you, be not deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Notice, if you don't mind, as we see what occurs in the book of 2 Kings, chapter number 9. The book of 2 Kings, chapter number 9. It takes some time... But God finally has Elisha, the servant of Elijah who takes over for him, he comes to anoint a man by the name of Jehu. Jehu happened to be the general of Jezebel's armies. And he comes in and he actually <coughs> sends a servant in, in the middle of a day, to go and, um, and to announce, Jehu, guess what? You're in charge. Jehu kind of looked at everyone kind of crazy and said, what just happened here? And he said, your job is to be God's cleaner upper. You're supposed to go take care of Jezebel. And so Jehu took that seriously and he began to go back to the capital city of Samaria to go see Jezebel, to go ahead and see what happened. Pick up the story with me, if you don't mind, in the book of 2 Kings in chapter number 9. The book of 2 Kings, chapter number 9. And uh, let's just get a good running start. Let's go with verse 1. And Elisha, the prophet, called one of the children of the prophets and said unto him, Gird up thy loins and take the box of oil in thy hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. And when thou comest thither, look out there Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him arise from among his brethren and carry him to an inner chamber. Then take the box of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus saith the Lord, I have anointed thee king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and tarry not. So the young man, even the young man, the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. And when he came in, behold, the captains of the host were sitting. And he said, I have an errand to thee, O captain. And Jehu said, Which of of all of us. And he said to thee, O captain. And he arose and went into the house and poured the oil on his head and said to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed thee king over the people of the Lord, even over Israel. Thou shalt smite the house of Ahab thy master, and I will avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. 
For the whole house of Ahab shall perish. And I will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall. And him that is shut up and left in Israel. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam. The son of Nabat. Like the house of Bethshai and of Adonijah. And the dog shall eat Jezebel and the portion of Jezreel. And there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and fled. Then Jehu comes out and the rest of the generals are like, what just happened? He just said, I'm king. And the rest of the generals said, yay, all hail King Jehu. And they said, well, let's go do what God said. So they get in their chariots and they begin to drive. There was an old expression back in the early part of our country, like driving like Jehu. It had the expression that you're driving fast, pedal the metal, carelessly, he's going. Well, meanwhile, Je back at Samaria, Jezebel is enjoying life and thinking everything's all good. And one of the... Um, one of the uh, guards looked up and said, hey, there's someone driving. It looks like Jehu. So they sent out a messenger to Jehu. And they said, hey, you come in peace? He says, get behind me. Let's go. And so the guard joined Jehu. Another one guard was sent out here. You come in peace? Yep, everything's fine. Get behind me. And he joined Jehu's forces. Finally, they come. And Jezebel realized what was going on. She put on her makeup and painted her face, the Bible said. Made herself look pretty. And then she stands outside of her tower wall. And says hey what are you doing? I'm the one in charge here. And Jehu told her guards. Throw her out the window. And so they threw the wicked witch. Right outside. And she splatted on the ground. And they left her there. Jehu began to put things in order. Finally someone said you know what. Maybe we should like go pick up the remains of Jezebel. And do something. I mean she's laying there in the courtyard. So what happens during this time? Pick it up with me as we see the rest of it in uh, 2 Kings chapter 9. And pick it up with me now in verse number 34. Ah, let's get a good running start. Verse 32. 31. Ah, 30. Let's keep going. 30. There we go. And when Jehu had was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her face, and tired her hair, and looked out a window. And Jehu entered the gate, she said, had Zimri peace, who slew his master? And he lifted his face to the window and said, who is on my side? Who? And he looked out to him, two or three eunuchs. And he said, throw her down. And they threw her down, and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses, and he trod her underfoot. And when he was come in, he did eat and drink, and said, Go now, see now this cursed woman and bury her, for she is the king's daughter. And they went in to bury her, and found, her, found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hand. Wherefore they came again and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, In the portion of Jezreel shall the dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the carcass of Jezebel shall be as dung in the face of the field and the portion of Jezreel, so that they should not say, This is Jezebel. And so we could see this, that Jezebel had an ending just like God said. And through this all, we see this principle of payday someday. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You see, this principle still rings true today. There are some people that have continued in their sin. You have never been forgiven of your sin. You're not saved. You're not a Christian. And you're continuing with your sin. And you justify it that nothing's ever happened to me. I've told my lies. I've cheated on my taxes. I've done this. And nothing has ever happened to me. I'm all right. 
Everything is fine. The message that I have for you, dear friend, is be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. There is a payday someday. The Bible is very clear in the book of Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. You understand, for your sins, which is anything that you've ever done against God, you owe God a price. And you may feel that you've gotten away with it, but let me tell you, there is a payday someday. And that you owe God a price, and that price is death. You said, preacher, that's not good news. I know. I have to tell you the bad news. I have to tell you that there is a payday someday. That you will not be allowed to continue in your sin. There are some people that says, well, I try hard. I try very hard. But let me tell you, as long as you've got sins to your account, it doesn't matter how many. Let me tell you, there is a payday someday. You owe God a great price for the wages of sin is death. And let me tell you, dear friend, that you may think that you're fine. You may think that everything's at peace. You may think that you've gotten away with it. But let me tell you, be not deceived. For God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. There is a payday someday. If you've ever committed a sin, if you've ever told a lie, if you've ever disobeyed your folks, you owe God a price. And that price, there is a payday someday. You said, that's not very encouraging, preacher. But let me give you the encouragement. The Bible finished off that verse in Romans 6, 23, where he says, for the wages of sin is death. But... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, there is a payday and all sin must be paid for. The good thing is that Jesus didn't want us to see us pay that price. He didn't want us to see us separated from God. He didn't want to see us go to that awful place called hell. So what Jesus did is he robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us. He lived the same life that you and I lived. He went through the same temptations, the same troubles, and the same heartbreaks. Then one night, on Gethsemane, they found Jesus Christ and they arrested him. Before the morning light, they put on a false, illegal trial. And they sentenced him to death. They brought him to the Roman government because the Hebrew people did not have the authority to commit, uh, to have capital punishment themselves. And they lied to the Roman government and said that he was a traitor. He was someone causing riots. And so Pontius Pilate had him examined himself. Pilate himself said there was no wrong in this man. And he did what he thought he could do to spare the life of Jesus Christ. He figured that he could, if he could show them people blood, that they would not put Jesus to death. And so what they did is they took a, a scourge, a cat of nine tails. And at the end of it, it had rocks and it had glass, and it had hooks. And what they did is they took that scourge and they whipped it across the bare back of Jesus Christ. The first century historian Josephus said this, that after one lash, you could take your finger and actually touch the bone of the victim of the scourging. And they took that whip and they whipped him, and they whipped him, and they whipped him. And his back looked like hamburger meat. It was so shredded and so cut up. And then what they did to mock him is they put on a robe and that blood began to soak into the robe and began to coagulate on the robe. And they presented him before the people. Pilate's hope was if they saw the blood and saw that he was already abused, that they would say, never mind, it's fine. 
But instead the people were riled up and they said crucify him. Crucify him. They then took that robe and they ripped it off as that blood began to coagulate and open those wounds afresh and renew. And then the Roman soldiers began to make fun of him. They blindfolded him and put him through a... a, A row of soldiers and the soldiers took their hand and they buffeted him in the face. And his face began to swell up. And then they had the audacity to ask him, who's the one that struck you? The Hebrew male was very fond of their beard. The beard was a sense of prominence. And they took his beard and just pulled it out, pulling out the flesh as well. They put a crown of thorns, not small thorns, but huge thorns. And they beat it into his brow. And then they put them up on the cross. When they put someone up on the cross, they would nail the hands. Back in the old ancient world, the wrist was considered part of the hand. And inside of the wrist here is what is called the median nerve, which runs all the way through your body. It is one of the most sensitive nerves in all of the body. And they nailed that spike through that wrist, which would pierce that median nerve. It felt literally like someone took some pliers and twisted that nerve with the electrical uh, impulses that came in. It was painful. Usually when someone would die up on the cross, they died of suffocation. Because as they hung up there on the cross, their their chest would be caved in. And they couldn't get enough oxygen. So every now and again, they would have to move up. And as they did that, the bones around that spike would grind against that spike and it would twist that nerve some more. Of course, Jesus was beat and wounded like no other man. Usually people were not scourged before putting on the cross. But because Jesus had all of his back exposed and it wasn't nice sanded wood, it was more like a a railroad tie, a railroad um, A log that's in a railroad track that's all splintered and spiked. And every time he took a breath, it would drive that wood deeper into his back. And he would take a breath. And then he would sag back down. During this time, because of the loss of blood, his blood is act- or his heart is actually beating faster to try to get the blood to the rest of his body. But the faster that it beats, the more blood that is lost. What happens is that around the heart you have what is called the periocardial sac. And the periocardial sac is to reduce, it's designed to reduce friction from a heart that's working too much. And it began to fill up with fluid. And as it began to fill up with fluid, it would actually put more pressure on the heart, making it harder to beat. But yet the heart's trying to beat faster. And the final uh, diagnosis of Jesus' death is that he died of a periocardial infraction. He died of a broken heart. And you say that is a horrible death. It is absolutely horrible. And that is because God says be not deceived. For God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth. That shall he also reap. Let me tell you dear friend that God says very clearly. For the wages of sin is death. And that is the death that you and I owed God for telling one lie. That's the death that you and I owed God for disobeying our folks once. And that all debts, all sin must be paid for. What Jesus did is that he said, I'm willing to pay that debt for you so you don't have to. 
I'm willing to pay that price. I'm willing to take on that burden. I'm willing to pay that payment. So you don't have to. All sin must be paid for. The choice that we have to make is do we take that payment ourselves? Or do we let Jesus take that payment for us? You said it's not fair and it's not right and you're exactly right. It is not fair that Jesus has to die for our sins. But he willingly paid for it because he loved you. And because he wanted it. You know what the death of Jesus Christ on the cross tells us? It tells us be not deceived for God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. There is a payment to mean. Maybe there's never been a place where you personally accepted Jesus as your Savior. Let me tell you, you don't mess around with this. You don't hope or guess. This is something you need to have nailed down because it is a true thing. There is a payday someday. And if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't accept that gift that He paid your price for you, there will be a payday someday. And it's not going to be a payment that you made. I'm giving you not a message of gloom and doom. I'm giving you a message of hope. That Jesus paid that price for you. Because he loved you. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him. Should not perish. But have everlasting life. And dear friend. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ. As your personal savior. Let me tell you. You cannot afford to mess around. You can't say, well, I'll do it right before I die. Because let me tell you, tomorrow is guaranteed to no man. You could go ahead and leave church and get on the road back home. And you could be in a car accident. And just like that, your time is over. No one is guaranteed of tomorrow. Now is the appointed time. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the time for you to get it taken care of. Because there is a payday someday. And that is a fact. For those of you who may have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior... Let me give you a reminder of how awful sin is. You may be saved and you may have your sins forgiven, but you're still messing around with sin. You have something hidden that no one knows about, your wife doesn't know about, your husband doesn't know about, your parents don't know about. And you think you're getting away with it. Let me tell you, there is a payday someday. Be not deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For that sin that you got hiding, let me tell you, now is the time to get right with God. Now is the time to get it fixed. Now is the time to get it settled. Now is the time to get rid of it. Because there will be a payday someday. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. 
there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.